I'm going to finish up probably a series that we've been on for the last few weeks on uh, the revelation of Jesus. Um, Bill Johnson wrote a book called God is Good. In fact, I think uh, Jenny's Sunday school class uh, just recently finished uh, uh, studying that, through that book. But the book is called God is Good, and the subtitle is He's Better Than You Think. I think I'm going to steal that subtitle for, the, for this series, that he's better than you think, that the revelation of Jesus is better than we've ever thought or, or that we currently think. That his goodness, everything we think about God, as good as it is, it's actually better. Amen? It's, he's actually better than we could ever think or imagine. That's part, again, of revelation. Again, revelation is progressive. It, it is constantly growing. That we are growing into understanding the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of the Father. There's angels right now in heaven circling the throne, constantly looking and finding new things about God, just, just constantly discovering his goodness and who he is. And we're doing the same thing. Revelation is progressive. And so he's better than we think. Amen. So we, we've talked about how we know that Jesus came to the earth and he lived for 33 years. And yes, while he was on the earth for 33 years, he was showing us how we should live. But he was doing more than that, right? He was also unveiling the Father. He was revealing who the Father was. That everything we know about God can be viewed through the lens of Jesus. Everything we read about God in the Bible can be viewed through the lens of the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I hear the Father tell me to do it. Right? That when you look at me, you are looking at the Father. So Jesus didn't come just to show us how to live. He showed us, he came and showed us who the Father was. So that's what one of the things we learned about. The other thing we learned about was that Jesus, yes, he came and he died for the masses, but he didn't just die for the masses. He died for you specifically. Uh, and the, the, that, that Jesus, the very first person he appeared to after the resurrection wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't even a handful of his favorite disciples, but it was to Mary Magdalene. A small girl, or a, I don't know how small she was. I, I, I'm going to guess she was small. But a girl who comes from a small fishing town. And he decided to reveal himself to her because his resurrection wasn't to prove some grand point. His resurrection was for the Mary Magdalene's. His resurrection was for the Thomas, who the other disciples got to see Jesus firsthand, but Thomas missed it. And Thomas was struggling with the, the fact that the others got to see Jesus, but he missed it. But then Jesus comes back, not for the other disciples. He didn't need to prove anything to them, but he came back just for Thomas. And he said, take a look at these scars in my hands. Put your hand in the rip in my side. That yes, Jesus died for the masses, but more specifically, it's better than that. He died for you specifically. And not only did Jesus die for our sins, I think everybody in this room realizes that Jesus died and his death, his blood, his broken body was for the sacrifice and the forgiveness of our sins. So yes, we are forgiven, but his death and his resurrection did so much more than just forgive us of our wrongdoing. The Bible says that, that we, in Romans 5, it says that we were born under the nature of Adam. 
that when Adam fell into sin, we were born in with that nature, that one man's uh, disobedience caused this shadow to be cast over all of humanity. But it says through one man's obedience that his grace and his mercy and his nature then was distributed to all of humanity. That, that not only did Jesus die on the cross for us, but he actually died with us on the cross. He took us to the cross with him and he killed the old man inside of us. And now through his resurrection, we are raised to newness of life. Romans 6, that his death was ours his resurrection is ours as well. And now that old man is dead and we walk in the very nature of God. He's better than we could have ever imagined. What we think about God, as good as it is, he's better. Amen. The, the cross necessitated, was necessary for two reasons. One was the obvious sin, right? That, with, that because of sin, it made the cross necessary. But there's a much greater reason inside the heart of God for the cross. There was a much greater motivation than the fact that we sin that caused God to say that, I, that I'm going to send my son as a sacrifice for these people. And that, that motivation was not because just because sin needed to be forgiven, but his greater motivation was because he had a dream inside of him for union with us. That he died on the cross, yes, and it saved us from our sins. But the greater motivation was that he wanted to share his life with us. That we are in him and he is in us. And the cross was necessary, not just to forgive us of our sins, but to bring us back into fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's better than we can think and imagine. Amen? This morning... I want to continue on with this thought and talk about eternal life. Eternal life. Let me read you a scripture here out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. It says, This is the true testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life has its source in his Son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not possess eternal life. Let me ask you a question. When you hear the words eternal life, what is your first thought? What is the first thing we think about? Anybody, wanna, does anybody want to give an answer? Heaven, exactly. Our immediate thought goes beyond the grave into heaven. And we have thoughts of living forever. That eternal life is living forever in heaven. And that is absolutely true and a part of eternal life. But what if I were to tell you, that that is not the fullness of the biblical definition of eternal life. That when we think of eternal life, we think of dying and go to heaven, to the, to, the, to the city where the streets are paved with gold, where there's no sorrow, there's no weeping, where there's no country music ever played ever again. Praise God. Get, a, get an amen, cooks. No? Okay. Where Pastor Ron has a full head of hair. Amen. <laughs> we think of eternal life. Amen. We think of heaven. We think of living forever. But the Bible's definition of eternal life is so much better than just living forever. In fact, 
if I would go as far as to say that if we just strictly go by the definition that we are going to live forever, there would be some people that would not find that appealing. People whose lives have been wrecked, who are going through struggles, living forever doesn't sound all that great to them, right? That, that if we continue on with just the definition of when I die, eternal life is going to heaven and living forever, then, then we have missed the fullness of what the Bible means by eternal life. It is so much better than just living forever. Amen? Here's a few areas. There's a few areas where our view of eternal life comes up short. The first one I want to share, and this one's real quick. The first one is that we always push eternal life to after we die. That, that God promised us promises us eternal life and it's like he gives us he gives us this promise of eternal life but from here from this point until we die we're kind of on our own until we get to that point but look again at first john chapter five says this is the true testimony that god has given us eternal life and this life has its source in his son Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Are you picking up my, uh, my, my expression here of the word has? It's present tense. It doesn't say that if you accept Jesus in your heart, eventually when you pass away, then you will inherit eternal life. It says that when you accept the Son, when you embrace Jesus, you have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin after you pass away. Eternal life begins the moment you embrace the Son. That if you have accepted Jesus and you are living your life for him, congratulations, you are right now living with eternal life. Eternal life is resonating inside of you right now. Amen? Eternal life does not begin after we are dead. Eternal life begins when we embrace the Son. You have eternal life right now. So we need to look here at this definition. If we have eternal life right now, we have it now and not after we die, then obviously eternal life is not just the idea that we are going to live forever, right? Because if we have it now and, uh, and eternal life means we're going to live forever, then uh, I, I don't know if this is new revelation to you, but everyone in this room, given that Jesus doesn't come back before then, we will all experience something called death, right? I know that's a shocker to many of you in this room. So, but, but if we have eternal life now, but if the only definition of what eternal life is is that we will live forever, then we're missing something, right? Right? Because we experience it now. Well, to understand that, we need to look at this word life. We need to work at, look at this word life. There are three words in the New Testament that is used for the word life. The first one is the word, I'm going to totally mispronounce it, but I believe it's suke. Suke. Which is where we get the word psychology in our English, English language that I can't speak apparently. <laughs> so the word suke means a person's unique identity. So the word is focused on a person's unique identity. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that word this morning. Another word that is used for life in the Bible is the word bios. Can you imagine what word we get in our English language from bios? Anybody can take a guess? 
No, I was going to say, yeah, biology, that's right. I was, I was hoping I could sound smart and get that one, but that's all right. No, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry. Another word in the Bible, we're going to edit that out later, that part. Another word in the Bible is the word bios. And uh, the word bios means your present state of reality. So it means physical life. It's your biology, right? The word biology, it's your physical being. It's, it's, uh, it has the connotation that it's a certain period of time that you will be born, you will live, and then there's eventually there will be that you will die. So it's literally your physical life, your bios, okay? Then there's this third word. This word is zoe. And this is what zoe means. It's the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate, of absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. Zoe, the state of one who possesses vitality, it's fullness of life, the essential part of life. Can you guess which word is used when speaking of eternal life in the Bible? Zoe. When God speaks, when the disciples speak and Jesus speaks of eternal life throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, they use this word zoe. The, that, that bios, where bios is physical life, zoe is the quality of life. Bios, and if we're to use it in a sense, bios would be that there was a child born today and therefore he has life, right? That the child is born or the doctor saved a life today. They saved a bios today. The quality of the life doesn't matter at that point. The person's life could be incredible. The person's life could be disastrous, but they have life. They have bios. Zoe, on the other hand, is the quality of life. So it could be used in a sentence like this, like, my son was born today and it gave me fresh life. It made me come alive. That zoe is fullness of life. It is actually, uh, and if, if you look through the, the lexicons and the things about this, through this word, it actually says it's, it can represent God life. The life that is in God himself is zoe. It's fullness of life. And so when the Bible talks about eternal life, it doesn't say eternal bios. If it were to say eternal bios, it would be our definition of eternal life would be right, correct? That it would be we live forever. But it doesn't say eternal bios. It says eternal zoe, that we live a full life, that we experience wholeness. Do you see the difference between the two? Zoe speaks of the quality of life, and not just quality, but the fullness of life. It's, it's the word that is used in John 10.10. 10. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Everybody know that scripture? I come that they may have zoe, and that they may have it more abundantly. I love the Passion Translations version of, uh, of John chapter 10, starting in verse 9. It says, I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief only has one thing on his mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. See, we have reduced 
the idea of eternal life to living forever in heaven. With that view, we might as well just call it the fountain of youth, right? We're all just chasing the fountain of youth that we will all live forever. But it's so much better than just living forever. It's not just living forever in heaven. It's living forever starting right now with the absolute fullness of life. Living actually whole and experience the life that is in God himself. Experience fullness of joy. Fullness, a, a peace that surpasses understanding. We actually get to experience all of that now. It says that when we embrace the Son, we get eternal life. And eternal life is fullness of life. Amen? Come on, I'm preaching a little bit better than we're responding this morning. Amen? Fullness of life. Eternal life is really wholeness, fullness of joy, peace that surpasses understanding. Eternal life is the life within God himself, and that is the gift that he has given to us. If that doesn't make it clear enough, John chapter 17, Jesus tells us the very definition of what eternal life is. He, he tells us exactly what eternal life is. John chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, This is what Jesus prayed as he looked up into heaven. He said, Father, the time has come. Unveil the glorious splendor of your son so that I will magnify your glory. You have given me authority over all the people so that I may give eternal life to all those who, who you have given to me. And here we go. He, he tells us flat out what the definition of eternal life is. He says, eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just living forever in heaven after we die. Eternal life is experience the fullness of joy, peace that surpasses understanding, wholeness, and it's through union with the Father, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternal life is sharing life, the zoe of God himself, not after we die, but when we embrace the Son. It's not, it's not just living a good life. It's so, I hope I can communicate that this morning. It's not just living a good life. It's actually experiencing the fullness of the life of God himself. That, that John 17, it says that this is what eternal life means. That they would know the Father. And they would know Jesus, his son. Eternal life is, is living with him inside of us and us inside of him. It's union with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And in that union, God shares the very life that has been alive for all of eternity. The union that the Father, Son, and Spirit have experienced together for all of eternity. The joy that they experience in their union. That is what is gifted to us when we embrace the Son. And yes, we get to go to heaven and live forever. But it's, it's, it's not just living forever. It's living forever in the union with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And experiencing the joy, the Zoe life of God himself. 
isn't that so much better than just living forever? We get to experience the very life of God himself. Eternal life is your life becoming entangled in the life of God and experiencing what he has experienced for all of eternity, which is wholeness, which is wholeness. Amen. John 14, 21, I don't have it up on the overhead, but it, it says that, that my father passionately loves you. And when you passionately love me in return, it says, I will manifest my life with inside of you. I was reading this week a book that tells a story, I'm going to end with this, that tells the story of, of C.S. Lewis. And uh, it comes from his biography that he wrote uh, called Surprised by Joy. But he tells uh, this story throughout his biography about his growing up and how he was raised. And uh, C.S. Lewis was raised in a, in a Christian home. His mom and dad were Christian people. Uh, he, he explained how his dad uh, was, loved the Bible. He loved scripture. He, he was a very religious man and was seen very highly, very respected in the eyes of the church. But, but he kind of, throughout the story, gives this idea that, that though his dad was uh, gifted in knowing the scripture and was very religious and very dutiful to the church, he, he noticed that his dad was also uh, kind of a born guy. <laughs> He, he, he describes it that he was, he was actually kind of an emotional guy, that his emotions were all over the place and he was often depressed and unhappy. And uh, he, he just was always moody, he said. And so, so he grew up in this Christian home. Um, but, but he said, in, in spite of growing up in this Christian home, that, that he never in his, in his entire upbringing put joy and serving God together. That he never even thought of those two things being, uh, being joined together. That they were two separate things. So he said he remembers growing up. And, and uh, he tells a story about how him and his brother uh, were playing one day. And his brother had this old, uh, this old can that he put a couple twigs in and some moss and made his own little garden. And he said he remembers playing with his brother and playing in, with this, this little garden that they made up and experiencing this joy, this overflowing joy inside of him as he was playing. And, and he, said it, it, he said it like that experience, though it was small, just captivated him and made him hungry for not just experiencing that every now and then, but hungry for experiencing that joy and that kind of life and vitality all the time. But what he, what he noticed was he experienced that joy, but it was fleeting. He, he had that moment that he had this, this encounter, you could call it, but it was fleeting. It, it just went away. And he said as he grew up, he would every now and then he would experience something and he, that, would, that would come up inside of him. And, and he would eat it up, but, it, but then it would just fade away. And he said he became almost obsessed with trying to figure out how do I sustain that kind of life, that kind of joy, that kind of, that feeling of wholeness. How do I sustain that? And again, though he was raised in the church, he never put the two together. And eventually he, he uh, graduated high school and he began going off to college. And, and throughout his time in college, he was in search for this joy, for this wholeness. And, and, and it, it led him through all kinds of different paths. In fact, he actually went away from the church 
for a while and went away from the Lord for a while and became an atheist and began experimenting with all kinds of different things to try to find this joy. Eventually, his, his, his searching, his journey led him back to God. And he said he had this moment. He had this moment where he realized that the two aren't mutually exclusive, but joy and God belong together. That, that joy, that wholeness that he was experiencing actually flowed out of the very life of God himself. But isn't it interesting that he grew up in church? He grew up understanding and hearing scripture. He grew up with a, a mom and a dad who were actually looked highly upon within the church. But he never put together that joy and the Lord. Joy and God actually are the same thing. And that makes me wonder if C.S. Lewis can grow up not understanding that. How many of us have not understood that joy and, and wholeness and the fullness of life only comes from one source. And that is the Zoe of God himself. That, that joy and fullness of life comes from the gift of eternal life through Jesus. And eternal life like anything else, Eternal life, just like we talked about with, with having the nature of Christ, that is a gift that is given to us. But we only experience it through faith. That, that, we can, that we can, they actually, it's a gift that is given to us, but we only access it when we have faith to believe that it is ours for the grabbing, for the taking. And so I want to close with this this morning. Go ahead and just close your eyes with me. I want to close with this. You have the gift of eternal life inside of you. And eternal life is not just living forever in heaven. Eternal life began when you embraced Jesus. When you embraced him as your savior. And made, made him Lord of your life. That you have eternal life inside of you. So if you are experiencing an emptiness. If you are experiencing a hole in your life then it's not because the gift has not already been given to you. It's because we have not realized that the gift was ours all along. And I want to invite you this morning to begin embracing eternal life as your gift from the Father. And eternal life, as we read in John 17, eternal life comes by knowing the Father and knowing His Son. Eternal life comes by coming into communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit and experiencing the life of God himself. So I just want to pray this over you. Jesus, I pray that this morning that the eternal life that has already been given to those in this room would be uh, activated right now in their life in the name of Jesus. Now that we know and we understand that eternal life is not just living forever, but eternal life is experiencing the fullness of, of God himself, the life of God himself. God, I pray that they would just turn that on inside of each and every person here this morning. God, and that we would begin living life with absolute wholeness 
and absolute fullness in the name of Jesus. God, that we would live with the joy that is, that is full of glory. That we would live with a peace that surpasses understanding. That though life's trials still come against us, that there would be a peace inside of us, God, that would be unshakable because there is a peace inside of you that is unshakable. Father, that, that there would be a joy inside of us because there is a joy that is living on in the inside of you. God, that the life that you live, God, that we would begin to experience that same eternal, never-ending life that you have inside of you. God, I thank you for the gift of eternal life. God, I thank you that it is even better than we could have ever imagined. God, that it is even better than we could have ever have imagined. God, I pray, Lord, as, as we continue our journey, our journey on of, of coming into union with the Father, Son, and Spirit, God, I pray that we'd begin uh, or that we would continue on this revelation of understanding who you are, that though today may be the end of this, this series, maybe, Father, that we wouldn't be, we would, this wouldn't be the end of, of discovering who you are, but God, understanding that our journey with you is constantly discovering that you are even better than we could have ever imagined. God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for eternal life that is inside of us right now at this moment. And we bless you today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.